All right, welcome to the 11 Dubcast, sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am John Ginter, and, and today, of course, we are very happy to welcome our, our amazing uh, guest host here. We've got Andy Vance on the show. Welcome, Andy. How you doing? My man, I'm, I'm well. I have to tell you, uh, I, I'm a little bummed that I'm coming in a couple weeks late. I, I would have loved to have pinch hit it or guested on the program when we did the Game of Thrones wrap-up, because... Uh, you so I some talk, of my favorite you, thrones you know recapper peoples are you a, are you a thrones aficionado is that is that something that i now know about andy vance is that something that that you are into i mean i, I don't know if i'm willing to go as far as aficionado because i feel like that opens the door for somebody to, to throw some crazy fan theory trivia stuff <laughs> at me and i'll make a fool of myself but i will say that from the time season eight dropped to finished i i went ahead and reread uh, the five books and Hell yeah, um, all right. was reminded a how good the first let's say five and a half six seasons of the show really were and how incredible um george r, r. martin is as a storyteller and world yeah. creator and so on and at the same time i was um really really sad that we are never going to read the end of this story <laughs> In books, it just ain't gonna happen. No, it's coming, dude. It's coming. <sighs> in, in the yeah. next, he's he's almost done. He's yeah. He's my been, rich uncle's gonna get out of the poorhouse any time now, too. You know, it's like we all gonna have dreams, but <laughs> well, I have a dream of spring, but hopefully one day it yeah. will it will show up. Um, so actually, what we when we get to ask us anything, we do have a belated Game of Thrones question. So I'm glad that you'll be able to help us out with that. Nice. And we've got. I got to say something. We've got kind of a potpourri of topics to kind of get into today before we start kind of talking about Game of Thrones and Ask Us Inning and all that. The the biggest topic in a relatively, I would say, sparse week or so uh, <laughs> right now is that Ohio State baseball achieved the impossible, comes out being being the lowest seed to ever win the Big Ten tournament in baseball. And I want to tell you my favorite part of all of this, besides the fact that Ohio State has some legitimately really exciting players, right? They've, they've got some really good talent on their team, both, you know, in terms of relief pitching, starting pitching, uh, batting. They've got some really good players. Uh, my favorite part about this was <laughs> the angst of our, uh, you know, editors who who cover some of the non-revenue sports on a more regular basis, uh, just basically wondering when they were going to lose so that their head coach uh, could eventually be fired. But apparently that's just not going to happen ever. The guy the guy survives in advance, just like his team, and, and they're, they're in the NCAA tournament. I, you know, it's really interesting covering a non-revenue sport, right? Like, to see how much do Buckeye fans know about sports that are not football and or basketball and really it could be football and just in the sentence there. And, and one of the things I'm really always pleasantly surprised about is people will surprise you, you know, like you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll meet people and, and I'll use myself as a, as an average fan. Um, there's a lot of stuff I know I don't know, but I know I'm really excited when our teams are doing well and then you meet right. somebody that, uh, you know, you'll just pop off something about, Hey, do you hear about the baseball? And they'll know stuff. And it's, it's really cool that we're you know, in many ways people think about us as kind of one dimensional as a fan base, but um, you know, this, the school is really, really good at a lot of different things. Uh, it's, it's, a, and you, you expect that, I guess, with the resources Ohio state has, but um, baseball and teams North of the Mason Dixon in general, you don't expect to mix at a high level, but this team, uh, this team may give Vandy a run here. 
in this tournament. <laughs> well, what's interesting, so Vanderbilt is essentially the the number two overall seed. And the way it works, I mean, obviously, it's not kind of a March Madness situation. It's a little little more compact. Uh, but the way it works is that you've you've got kind of this, this situation where, you know, Ohio State comes in. I think they're the fourth seed in that particular bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, if, I'm trying, I'm trying to think, I think it's still a 64 team bracket. So maybe it is essentially like March Madness, right? So I got I, I to tell you, I don't have a bloody clue. <laughs> I'm, no, I mean, no, I'm looking, no, at, I'm looking actually, at the Vandy regional, but I have no idea how the NCAA no, baseball I'll, tournament works. So they've got it. They've got these. So what they do it is they have the, uh, like basically the 14 pods essentially. And, and then you've got, yeah, it's, it's basically a 64 team bracket. And the way it worked out was, uh, you know, Vanderbilt is, is one of the top two teams. They're right behind UCLA, which yeah. is the, I mean, UCLA. I was actually looking at this earlier. Vanderbilt's record's like 45 and 10, something around there. UCLA is like 47 and 8. Uh, pretty damn good. <laughs> Hashtag not um, bad. Not bad. And Ohio State kind of sneak it in. I think there were a seven seed in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, mm. Did not have, I think, what anybody would call a you know, not a, not a terrible season, but I think they came in. Let me, I'm trying to look at the, the final bracket here. I think there were about, oh man. Just well, and I, somebody commented earlier um, that there, there was a piece that our, our team was sharing around the campfire uh, that, that Ohio state may be the most dangerous four seed in the, in the, the Vanderbilt um, is, is not, probably in love with getting paired as the number two overall seed against Ohio state. Right. Ohio uh, state was, yeah, they come in 35 and 25, but Ohio state, as we've mentioned, has some really good starting pitching. They've got a great reliever who, uh, you know, did some great things in the big 10 tournament. They've got a number of, you know, hitters who, who are really getting hot at a good time. So I just, I guess what I'm saying is, is that if you, if Ohio state, if you want to see Ohio state, a non-revenue sport, Right. And you're hoping that they might make a run and do something cool in the offseason. This is really, I think, the event to kind of pay attention to, because the baseball championship, you know, and doing all this, you know, the way they do it. And it's just such a cool confluence of all this, you know, talent, this you know, mostly southern, you know, collegiate talent. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is a fun tournament. And if Ohio State's going to make some noise, they're going to make some noise early and they might have a chance to really, you know, make a little bit of a run. So. They surprised people in the Big Ten tournament, right? Lowest seed yes. to win the Big Ten tournament. They 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 bought their ticket to uh, the baseball championship, and now they've got a chance to take on the second seed. So if they pull it off, it'll be, I think, a pretty large upset. But they could do it, and they're they're definitely really hot right now. And baseball is a lot of you know, a lot of times about streaks and making sure that you're just kind of staying on your game. And mm-hmm. as a Reds fan, I can tell you that when that doesn't happen, it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating because you can play. That's one of my favorite things about baseball. I love watching baseball. I've been a Reds fan all my life. One of the best things about baseball is that it is defined by failure yeah. <laughs> and your ability to overcome it. Because if mm-hmm. you think about it, you know, the best players in the game are successful at, you know, hitting, right? Mm-hmm. Like 33% of the time. Right. They're, they're successful at actually getting it. They're successful at getting on base 40% of the time. You know, it's, it's, this is a game that's defined by failure. And Ohio State has defied that during the Big Ten run. And now they're in this incredibly huge, amazing championship. And they, if they can continue to defy those odds, I think that would be just a really fun thing to watch. So I, I implore people, check it out. You know, it's, it's a fun, exciting thing to kind of root on that you, you maybe don't have a lot of, you know, 
you know, adherence to or, or experience watching, but it's it's off season, baby. And this is <laughs> we'll take what we can get. We'll take these kind of championship runs. I love it. Absolutely. And and uh good for the guys too, because from watching some of the the clips of the interviews and so on, I mean, they're having they're having a ball, you know, oh, they are. Yeah, in, it's, in, it's in tournament great. season, right? You know, uh, live for today because tomorrow we may die. I mean, it's uh, uh, very much where where they are. And, hey, smoke them if you got them. They punch the ticket. <laughs> Throw out some cliches at this thing. I, I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to see some see some guys feeling dangerous. Yeah, no, it's it's it'll be fun. And I hope they're able to pull it off and, and continue this a little bit, because, like I said, it's the off season and we'll kind of take what we can get. The other thing that we'll get in the off season to continue our, our potpourri theme here <laughs> is a little bit of Michigan shade. If look, when I am writing these posts for the dubcast, right, I've got, OK, like, how am I going to get people who see, you know, a blurb on social media? How am I going to get them to click on? you know, the, the, the dub cast, how am I going to get him to listen to this? Well, manna from heaven, Jordan Lewis, because the, the Michigan Wolverine has thrown some really just nice red meat, uh, you know, on this, on this Memorial day weekend onto the grill for us. Um, I am, I'm pretty excited. He, he gave an interview. Jordan Lewis is a, uh, is a player for the Michigan Wolverines there. They're asking him, you know, about, you know, what all's going and all that stuff and blah, blah blah or actually excuse me he's a current cornerback excuse me he left michigan now he's with the dallas cowboys um but he was at a camp he was talking about you know what michigan's being able to do blah 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 um he says uh, i expect to win them to win it all referring to the uh, you know i guess assuming the national championship uh they're up there once again and have all the tools they need and the guys have been through it all jim harbaugh is everything in place again a great offense and outstanding defense and a good quarterback <laughs> i like how you give those superlatives to the offense and the defense and then say the quarterback's good uh who understands <laughs> the win games uh we came so close last year but just need a few to clean a few things up uh note that last year michigan lost to ohio state by i believe 33 points was that is that correct no 23 uh, points 23 okay. points so three touchdowns so yeah 62 39 uh i don't know if that was was so close or not but, I'm um, pretty sure then, there is no way you can define the term so close in a 62 to 39 blowout. Yeah. And then he, those, he went on to say, <laughs> yeah, he went on to say, we're definitely going to take down Ohio state. It's that or bust little brother referring to Michigan state, which I don't know why you can call them a little brother because they've been <laughs> dominating you for like the past seven years. Uh, little brother can speak all they want. We'll get the job done no matter what. Okay. Um, this that i mean whatever that's okay you got a former michigan player talking about how great the team is well but that's to be expected here's the question that i want to ask you andy how concerned are you that jordan lewis's prophetic words might actually come to fruition in 2019 how big of a threat do you believe the michigan wolverines are to the ohio state buckeyes Look, I, I'm pretty sure that one of these slack-jawed yokels has thrown out some guarantee like this every year of the Harbaugh era. Sure, yeah. And as, an Ohio State, as an Ohio State alumni, right? Like, that's not something – I mean, I don't expect anything less from Jordan Lewis, but what I'm curious about is do you think, given the composition of the teams, do you think Ohio State should be afraid of Michigan? No. I mean, so here, here's, here's where I am with this. Um, I think – I'm probably at the stage of feeling like Michigan fans had to have felt during the Cooper era in that I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) 
So, so I know this is going to revert to mean at some point, right? Sure. It's, it's not realistic to think that for my child's entire lifetime, Ohio State has uh, owned the rivalry. And, and in fact, that, you know, these recruits, like how many times has Michigan, you know, beaten Ohio State in the lifetimes of the guys who will actually be playing the game? <laughs> it's not uh... a large number at this point. Now, I mean, it's 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 getting down to once. I, no, well, I guess it would be. So, if they're playing the game, let's say you're 18, you're born in what 2000, 2001, 2002 ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be that would be twice, I guess, right? 2011 and and then 2000 and I want to say 2003. Right. So, so it's not a. I mean, it's we're not talking about a large number no, of so not a lot of experience so so i say okay you know this is this is a rivalry that eventually we're going to revert back to mean we've had some pretty wide swings here uh you know over the the, the couple of it you had a cooper era now you've had a, a succession of michigan coaches uh who haven't been able to get the deal done so I, i'm kind of at the stage where i know it's going to happen eventually i'm not going to really lose sleep about it until it happens because right. uh I, i'm not convinced regardless of you know the uh, great offense, outstanding defense, and good quarterback that Jordan Lewis thinks they have up there. I, I'm not convinced that their head coach knows how to get it done. Right. Uh, I, I'm just not there. So no, I'm I'm not at all. I think this is a rivalry though that you always say. Again, let's go back to the cliches and say throw out the record books and uh, you know any given Saturday and so on and so forth. Like yeah, this could very well be the year it happens. I'm not uh, necessarily going to be worried about it until halftime and we're you know in in a bad place on the scoreboard then then i might get worried but no i'm not there yet (laughs) so this is how i and that's i'm kind i'm kind of where you're at here's what i would say though and and i'll take it even a step further if michigan under jim harbaugh with a ton of and they do have a ton of returning talent he's not he's not wrong they've got a really good defense coming back they've got a lot of guys uh you know a lot of players on offense are coming back shea patterson obviously is a huge part of that um, if Jim Harbaugh with a, you know, a more experienced team, right. Cannot at least, and I'm not even saying like they have to like dominate Ohio state or something, but if they can't get a win over Ryan day and a guy who's just, you know, really, he's going to be in what at that point, like his 15th game as a head coach ever, right. At the mm-hmm. collegiate level. Yeah. Uh, if they can't get him at that point where Ohio state's kind of doing a little bit of rebuilding, um, I don't know. I don't know when they're going to get them. I, I, I just think maybe, maybe what you're seeing and maybe what we've seen over the past, you know, 17, 18, 19 years is not a do- one-sided dominance, you know, in this, in this great struggle between teams, but maybe it's Ohio state kind of holding serve as it's, you know, elite status as a college team. And then one team slipping down into the B tier permanently, because honestly, I don't know. I don't know what Michigan is able to do at this point to regain what they've had. And unless they truly become some kind of like crazy innovative team that can start really like challenging what college football is, which I don't see happening anytime soon. Uh, but unless they can do that, I, I don't know how they regain the kind of recruiting and infrastructure that they had when they were at the top of the game in like the eighties and nineties. Cause I just, I just don't see it happening anymore. Michigan right now, I think nationally is a B tier program and I don't see them pulling themselves out of that. So you better beat Ohio state. You better beat them now or the next couple of years. Cause if Ryan day is as good as advertised, he's just going to stomp on their throat and you're just going to see the same thing. 
I don't see it changing. I just well, don't see it changing. And here's the thing. I mean, think about what it says about, you know, how lopsided this rivalry has been this decade um, that we're talking about a first year coach versus, you know, a well-respected right. um, coach with experience at every level of the game and so on. And I'm like barely, you know, concerned, like threat level, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, throw me a threat level here. It, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, pass the milk, threat level, pass the milk. There you go. How's that? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to, I really got to think hard about how I'm going to do that series this fall. Like I'm dead serious, dude. Cause no, because the problem is, is that I come out I and this is, and I'm glad you said that because honestly, I struggle with this, especially earlier in the year where I'm like, you know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to like give the threat level every week, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the season, I'm going to know exactly what the threat level is. And it's going to be basically zero. And I want to bump it up to extreme or severe. Yeah, is. Right. The week of Michigan, because it's Michigan week. But before then, it's just going to be right there at the bottom because it's not because it's all a mirage until basically the middle of November. And I know mm-hmm. that and I know the people reading that know that. So I I'm going to have to come up with a different approach to the threat level this season. I got a few months to think about it. But it's going to be – it can't continue the way it is because I just don't think Michigan's the same team um, that they that they have been perceived to be by Ohio State fans like me and you who kind of came of age in the, you know, in the 90s, you know, early 90s, mid-90s yeah. because it's not. It's, it's just – I don't think it's the same program. So Well, and, and you, you know, you've – I think you've hit on something, you know, it's really important like this, this is their year, right? If there was ever a right. year – for them to have a legitimate shot at it, like things should be lining up in that direction. I, I guess I, I back up and say, as an Ohio State fan, maybe you take off your scholar, try to take off your scarlet covered glasses as much as possible. But 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 I'm not sure that I have any reason at this stage um, to think that Ryan Day can't get the job done. I mean, we've seen his offense uh, by and large. Now, I, I, you know, I sort of assume that maybe there will be some. Um, you know, changes that as the Urban Meyer fingerprints come farther off the offense, but I'm not expecting any kind of wholesale changes. Uh, I'm expecting, if anything, the defense will improve. Uh, Maybe those are unrealistic expectations. I don't know. It's pretty hard to get worse. Um, (laughs) Right. I think. (laughs) I think. (laughs) I actually, I will tell you this, dude. I I really think that the defense is going to be the strength of the team in 2019. I I would not be shocked if if you see some growing pains out of Ryan Day, especially when it comes to like game day coaching and things like that, because it's they're going to try to throw. It's not just, you know, when you talk about experienced coaches and stuff and and they're going up against inexperience, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, we're going to try to throw as many defensive looks at this new quarterback as we possibly can, which by the way, Justin Fields is going to have to deal with that. And that's a whole separate thing, but it's also with the new coach, right? They're going to try to get into his head and play mind games, do all kinds of weird stuff to get him Mm -hmm. off his game. I think Ryan day as as impressive as he's been, in front of the camera and talking to the media. And I think he handled those three games that he did last season really well. I think the jury is still a little bit out on that guy. I, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't really know what his coaching looks like over a season, mm-hmm. but I just think, I just think in terms of structure for the programs, I mean, if you look at Ohio state's, you know, top to bottom, they're athletes, they're, they're really deep in a lot of key areas. Uh, you know, the defensive line still going to be great this season. The, the wide receivers are going to be really good. They've got a lot of really good young talent. I just 
I don't see the same thing out of Michigan. And I think that's a problem for them. They've got to be able to develop. I mean, you talk about farm farm systems and baseball, right? You always want to know who's coming up next. I don't know that Michigan has the the guys who are coming up and the, you know, the twos and the threes who are really making Ohio State scared. I don't see that. Mm-hmm. So even if even if Jim Harbaugh comes out and has a great coaching season, and even if Ryan Day doesn't really pass the mustard and isn't that awesome, I just think talent-wise, I don't know what Michigan does to keep up with Ohio State. So that's, I mean, Jordan Lewis, I mean, you know, more power to you, dude. You, I, I totally understand coming out and saying that. I'm glad you're still repping your team. Uh, I, I think any Ohio State former player would do the exact same thing. Yeah. But man, I just, I don't see it. I, I would have, I mean, even Michigan could be, you know, perfect record going into it. Ohio state could be, you know, 500, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. I still wouldn't, I would still have to see the final score at the end of the game to really believe that Michigan could take down Ohio state this season. Cause it's I'm just, with you. like you said, you got to see it to believe it. I'm there. Yeah. They're just not there yet. Uh, last thing I want to say here with this potpourri uh, that we're kind of going through, uh, there is a story that, that is really kind of just making, you know, me very irritated and upset. And I think a lot of other people are pretty PO'd about it. Uh, Art Bryles got a job at a high school program in East Texas. Um, a lot of people are, are pretty irritated about this, pretty angry about this. Art Bryles, of course, was the uh, disgraced former coach of Baylor, who um, just obviously, you know, if you know the Baylor story, uh, all kinds of issues um, with the, the Bears, um, tons of sexual assault allegations, um, he was fired in, in 2016, Art Browse was, uh, for uh, an investigation that revealed that he um, had mishandled those allegations, uh, including some football players. The kind of stuff that came out in that was just really terrible. I mean, he, he would tell people that had talked to him, apparently, you know, allegedly had told these people that, um, you know, that wasn't his problem, that they needed to kind of just take care of it. And he kind of just way, you know, hand waved these people away when they came to him for help. Um, and the fact that he is now in charge of a high school program, uh, which I looked this up, this is in Mount Vernon, Texas, approximately 500 students, um, a small program. And, and a lot of people are like, well, you know, he's, he's, he's served his penance. I mean, that was, <laughs> again, this is just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would say, okay, go ahead and give him a second chance, which I think is ridiculous. But what really bothers me and really concerns me is that you know, Art Bryles is not going to be operating under the eye of, you know, the media, right, in this in this situation. This is a guy who obviously did terrible things, deserved to lose jobs, does not deserve to ever have control over a, a football program or any kind of program ever again. But now he's not in the public eye as much, and that really bothers me a lot. I, I hate the fact that this guy can have connections and knows people so that now he can get a nice cushy job, which again, it's, it's a tiny high school. He's not getting paid millions of dollars, right? But the fact that he can do this without people kind of like watching what he's doing and without this idea of like public disclosure of, of things that he's done, that just, that really bothers me. That doesn't sit well with me. I struggle with this for a few reasons. So, so number one, I agree with everything you've ever said about Art Bryles as a, human being and the uh, things that happened on his watch and with his knowledge. And there's not enough words to adequately express my feelings about that. Right. It's not okay. What, what I struggle with is, you know, what happens with people like Art Bryles 
when the dust settles. Okay, so he's he's not going to prison. He's not going. You know, we we don't have an island sure. for the lepers uh, of society like him. Like so, what do you, what do you do? Well, there's a guy who's all he's ever done is coach football, right? So I'm like, all right, do I envision him sacking groceries at the local Giant Eagle in whatever hole of Texas he crawls off to? Like, I, I really struggle with that. Is what do you what do you do with sort of the castoffs of society um, in this day and age? Now, if this was 30 years ago, this would have been the perfect story, right? He goes off to some school. It's obviously a pretty small school. There's only 500 people, 500 kids in the high school, right? So this is clearly not, um, you know, one of the larger schools in the state. I had never heard of it prior to this story. Uh, so yeah, that seems like what you do in a situation like this. The guy shuffles off. Uh, he's not going to make millions of dollars anymore on the, the, the backs of these um, uh, exploited college athletes and so on and so forth. But thinking as a parent, so that's right. where I tend to orient my, and especially as a, as a father of a daughter, right? So you tend to take these kinds of stories even more seriously. Yeah. Uh, and, and what he allowed happened to the young women that were associated with players on his team. I, I just, there's layers of emotion here. So I kind of, you know, the one shoulder says, what's he supposed to do? You know, this is as, he, this I is mean, as, but here's, per, this Andy, is as much Andy, purgatory. Here's what I would say about that. Art Bryles does not have to work another day in his life. Oh, yeah, right? and that's yeah, that you're absolutely right. That is the the Paul Harvey rest of the story that I, right. I I neglected to mention. Yeah, absolutely. He he's he's set, right? He's he's made his bank right. and uh, got some got some more money on the way out the door from Baylor if I recall the news correctly. Yeah. So I don't I don't again, it depends on it depends on who you are, what you've done, and I, if you are truly contrite and, and you want to make amends <laughs> for what you've done. I don't think Art Bryles has any intention of being contrite for anything that he Yeah, I don't get that sense done. either. <laughs> he does not care. He clearly doesn't think he did anything wrong at Baylor, despite an you know, independent investigation saying that he absolutely did. Yeah. Um, he does not seem to have any remorse about the fact that um, you know, what happened with his, you know, allegedly happened with his uh, players and, and sexual mm -hmm. assault. He's also tried to parlay his friendship with other people like at, you know, other universities like Liberty University and some of these other places and trying to get hired in a football capacity there. Again, this is a guy who doesn't have to work at all. Yeah. He, he's a millionaire. He, he can just retire. He's done. I mean, Art Bryles isn't like a 35 year old guy who's like, oh, man, I still got to work. He doesn't have to work. He's, right. he's set. He's done. This is, yeah. to me, this is about ego, and this is about saying I can still do it. And I think he still thinks, I honest to God, I think he thinks that if he is successful enough at this level, eventually he'll get bumped up to the next one, and then he'll get bumped up to the next one, and he'll be back in the game. And I, th I think that's the mentality of a lot of head coaches who are not necessarily disgraced, but fired. They're like, you know what? If I just keep grinding, I'll get back to where I was. Um, and honestly, as you know, I'm a high school teacher myself. I wouldn't want anyone with these kind of accusations. And, and really, again, this isn't like somebody's just, you know, pointing a finger at this guy and saying, you're a bad dude. This is yeah. a result of a very extensive, extensive independent investigation into his actions. I don't want, yeah. a, I don't want him anywhere near students right now. Well, or, take, or this ever, step, right? take this a step further. Cause I, I agree with you, you know, about the, the, what, what these guys in situations like his positions, like his think, like they, they have sort of a, um, you know, a bit of a delusional view yeah. uh, or a disillusioned view of the world. It's, it's a little detached from reality, but, but the sport of football in particular, um, I think we've given them every reason to believe that's the case. Cause look at the players yeah. yes. who, particularly at the, you know, the NFL level, look at the players. I mean, you, 
you go out and, you know, beat your wife seven ways from Sunday, yep. um, there's still a team's going to call you up if you're good enough. That's right. Win, w- winning cures all sins in, you know, you know in this sport. So I, I think until there's a bit more and, and uh, you know, not to stir up another controversial topic in the, in, in the potpourri, but I mean, you know, you, you look at the guys and I think of Greg Hardy and a number of others who, sure. um, you know, all, all is forgotten and they're back in the league six months later. Um, Colin Kaepernick raises a social issue and he's, well, you know, as blacklisted as it gets. Uh, right. And of course you go in, I never thought he was a particularly good quarterback, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, clearly it's a worse <laughs> sin to stand up for your beliefs on a controversial social issue than it is to beat the hell out of your wife. Right. And and here's what I would say. It's, I think a lot of people, their rejoinder to that is like, well, then can they never work again? Like, no, you can find another job. That doesn't yeah. mean, but, but the difference is, is that you don't get the privilege of making millions of dollars anymore. Right. Yeah. Like that's, I, I'm not saying people who are accused of this stuff can't make amends and can't be yep. contrite and can't change them. So I, I think they can. Right. But that doesn't mean you get to go right back to where you started. And and a lot of people have like they I think they struggle with that. Like, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this this could ruin your life. Like, yeah, then don't do it. Don't right. be, the, don't be the subject of an independent investigation yeah. that lasts months and costs millions of dollars. Like that's why I'm do saying. we why do we punish people? It's it it, it it's to hey, you know, there have to be consequences in life. You're right. a teacher, I'm a parent, like we're trying to teach kids uh that there are consequences to your actions. In fact, it, it's funny, I always laugh the People, people kind of laugh at me. The thing I say to my daughter every day before she goes off school, listen to your teachers, have fun with friends, make good choices. Hey, you know right. what? There's some people in this business, hello, Art Bryles, who make some pretty crappy choices. Right. And there are consequences for that. So and, now in this case, the consequence appears to be that you're going to get a $40,000 a year job coaching football right. at some backwater Texas high school. But your point stands. Yeah. And I just, I mean, again, it's not like he's, I guess what I'm saying is, is that part of the consequences for, you know, doing what the investigation said that he did, that, that the part of the consequences should be, you don't get to coach anymore. Like you just, you're done. And I think, I mean, again, we have situations like Mike Vick, for example, you know, Mike Vick did some really terrible stuff. Mm -hmm. He, you know, got a punishment for it. He served time for it. And by all accounts, he has done everything he can since he got back. Well, obviously he's retired now, but right. once he got back, he did everything he could to make amends and to like talk about why that was wrong and change his life for the better and mm-hmm. become a model citizen and all that. That's that's what you have to do. And sometimes when you do that, then you'll get that opportunity. But it's it's just a tricky thing. Football, like you said, particularly is just really, you know, it's it's wild, man. I mean, people really do just say if you can if you can win, then you're in, and that's yep. it's unfortunate. So yep. it's just it's an interesting thing. I, I hope I hope that the district comes to its senses, and I, I genuinely hope that um, you know our Barles is a changed man. I just I haven't seen it. The guy just yep. does not seem like he has learned anything from what happened to him. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get to ask us anything. And before we do that, you guys can check out uh, 11 Warriors uh, or the 11 Dubcast on any kind of you know podcast listening device that you might have. You can check us out on Spotify, iTunes. Uh, we uh, we got on Google Podcasts even. Um, and of course, we're sponsored by the Dragon Store. So check that out as well. Um, all right, let's do a little Ask Us Anything. You can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And Andy, I am... Glad that you are here. We have one from Twitter to at 11 Dubcast about specifically your uh, your area of expertise. So this is from uh, this is from James. He says, chicken and egg question. 
Could 11 Warriors and other media cover a smaller sport such as baseball enough to make people care? I know that model doesn't work financially, but if resources were unlimited, must fan interest precede coverage? I think 11 Warriors especially helped wrestling. Yeah, I, I would say that's my experience to a T. Um, and, and part of the reason I say that is, one, uh, you know, we always joke on the Internet, you don't read the comments, but I, I think our staff... <laughs> Right. really does a good job of of being involved and engaged with our community, whether that's via Twitter, which a lot of us, you know, engage via Twitter or or in the comments on stories of 11 Warriors. And I've seen that consistently over the past two seasons that a number of people who are what you might call casual fans of wrestling, in other words, that that we are fans of wrestling because we're fans of Ohio State first, probably, and then, sure. and then wrestling second. Uh, you know, it certainly helped in the Ohio State story that you had uh, a, a generational wrestler like Kyle Snyder. I think Kyle right. certainly has, has helped bring in people who maybe weren't diehard wrestling fans to start with. But um, I see it all the time that people uh, either that I meet at wrestling meets or um, shoot, I've met people just out in the community, you know, at the airport or whatnot, they'll see my 11 warrior sticker on the laptop and uh, we'll start talking. And I say, I cover the re- you know wrestling team and they'll, they'll mention, Oh yeah, I started following that because <laughs> They were 11 Warriors readers. So, yeah, I absolutely believe that, um, you know, one of the things that the non-revenue sports struggle with in general, not just at Ohio State, but I mean, in general, is is coverage. Some of it is regional, right? So if you go to Indiana, and I mean the state of, not the, not the university, but you go to the state of Indiana, basketball is a much different deal. Uh, at all levels than it is in other states, right? You you think about um, baseball. We talk about the the southern schools. Uh, you think about wrestling. You talk about Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa. Those are the, you know big, big, big wrestling states. So some of it is regional, uh, and you might see different non revenue sports be more popular in individual schools either because of program history or because of uh, just geographical interest in the fan bases. Sure. But I, I absolutely believe that the more um, we have covered wrestling at 11 Warriors, the more people, at least in our community, have have become in, engaged with the sport or interested in the sport. And maybe, hey, you got a nice run of this baseball team. Maybe we're going to build a, a nifty little baseball community now because uh, you know people love winning and here's the team that's doing it. We'll see. Well, I got to say, first of all, Andy, I wouldn't sell yourself short. I I think a huge part of why our wrestling coverage has gotten kind of the publicity that's because you're doing such an awesome job and and you're obviously, you know, really tight with the the wrestling community in general. And I think that helps a lot. Um, Yeah, your coverage has just been fantastic. So I think that's part of it. You got to have a writer that people are like, all right, this is okay. I can kind of get into this because now I know a little bit more about it. I understand how it works and all that. Uh, I do agree with you. A lot of it is kind of cultural. You've got to, you know, kind of have a you know, prime the pump, so to speak, with people who already know the sport, at least a little bit, or at least want to, you know, know more about it. And I think baseball can be one of those things. I I don't think that you have to have a huge level of excitement to start to invest in talking about the sport. I think as a website, obviously, we make choices about what to cover and what not to cover because our resources are finite. We, you know, can't cover everything all at once. Um, but it's it's an interesting question. I just think that's a really fa- – I think it's a great question, actually, because if we wanted to, 11 Warriors could be a lacrosse site, and then we could just talk nothing about lacrosse – you know, nothing but lacrosse and just ignore all the other sports. But, um, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting time. It's a great question. It's an excellent question. The, the, the other piece of the puzzle, and, and thank you for 
you know, your, your kind words about, about, uh, you know, what, what I bring to the table, but I think the other piece of it is, is the program at Ohio state, the wrestling program in particular has made a concerted effort. And, and part of this is Tom Ryan's personality as head coach. Part of it is that he's had some student athletes who have been really engaging, you know, if you, you, not, not just Kyle Snyder, but um, you know, the, the Jordan brothers have all been, you know, pretty engaging. You have a guy like Nathan Tomasello that is easy to root for. It's going out and winning for all Americans and, and NCAA. Right. Miles Martin is one of the genuinely um, nicest, you know, best people I've, I've ever met and had the pleasure to, to cover in the sport. You know, they're, they're just some really great um, stories to be able to tell, but the program, it, it's interesting when you watch, uh, you watch an interview with Bill Belichick or Nick Saban or Urban Meyer, you know, talking to the media isn't necessarily the, their favorite thing to do when they're coaching. Now I think Urban enjoys the media coverage now, you know, when he's not, um, you know, behind <laughs> right. the podium at, you know, he's obviously had a good relationship with a number of reporters and so on, but there's, it's called coach speak for a reason. You know, the most open, honest, transparent, you know, person involved in major college athletics I've, I've ever come across is Tom Ryan. You want to go talk to Tom Ryan about anything in the wrestling program? He will talk to you about it and and be yeah. as open and honest and transparent uh, as he can be, you know, within the bounds of, of you know, propriety. And, and uh, you know, there's things that's recruiting wise he's not allowed to talk about or whatnot, but just state of the program stuff, you know, you want to learn about wrestling. Not every coach is like that. It's, it's, you go to Penn state, um, which arguably has, you know, the largest or, or one of the two or three largest fan bases uh, in the sport. Coach Sanderson does not have a um, very open, warm, cheerful relationship with the media. He just doesn't talk mm. to him most of the time. Um, it's more like, you know, watching a Bill Belichick. And I think Coach Sanderson is a great, great guy. I mean, he's a, uh, we met in the elevator at the NCAA tournament. He was super nice, down to earth, all that sort of thing. And one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the sport, but he doesn't talk to the press. You know, that program is not um, very open, but they don't need to be because they're the best in the sport and they have this crazy insane fan base and so on and so forth. That's all part of the puzzle. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, like I said, it's a great question because it does kind of, you know, it makes us think about what we choose to cover and why we choose it. And like you said, there's so many different elements to that. So I think that's, that's excellent. Um, okay, so this is I'm, I'm, you have your your Game of Thrones. Uh, you're a book reader, as I am. Bo always points out that I'm a book reader. I'm Roderick the Reader, which is a reference. Like <laughs> yes. Three of you will understand. Three of you will get. get By the way, reference. the only the only Ironborn who isn't a complete idiot, aside oh. from, well, she's not Yara in the books, but Yara. Can, can I just I tell you how much that drives me nuts? Like I get why they did it. I, yeah. Like I understand, but come on. Yeah, okay. I think people could tell the difference. Yeah, it, for those of you who don't know, uh, Yara in the books is uh, it's a is it a Asha or I always get the, I was gonna mix. I always up, pronounced right? it Asha in Maybe. my head. I have no idea how George R. R. Martin would have pronounced it. But that's how I pronounced it in my head. Was was right, Asha. which is roughly the same name as the the wildling who comes you know. Down well, I always pronounced it as Osha, <laughs> right? <laughs> which well, is not probably right. not the way that you were supposed. But that's you know O S A A Osha. So. Either way, Yara is uh, one of the two good Ironborn. The only other one exists in the books, and his name is Roderick the Reader. And he's this guy. He's called the Reader because he's probably, I would say, among the Ironborn, he's probably the wealthiest or among the wealthiest. He's got like his own castle. He's got his own little island. And he's got a huge keep or I guess a tower just filled with books. 
and um, his eyesight's going bad, so he uses a giant magnifying glass to read. And he's like the only one who isn't just a complete moron. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I am happy to, to be uh, in reference or at least in connected a little bit to Roderick the Reader as a book reader. But you're a book reader as well. You've read through all the books, as I have. Um, we have a belated Game of Thrones question. This is uh, from Bill and uh, Bedina. He says, uh, it's a week late, but he just wants to get our opinions on how John killed Danny. He basically says, I'm going to summarize this, but he basically says that he believes that John killing Danny in the show was a bit out of character for him. And then he goes on to say how Ned in season one uh, basically did the exact opposite. Instead of doing anything underhanded, and he does this in the books as well, Ned basically decides that he's going to confront Cersei with the evidence and just hope everything will work out because he's not going to be dishonorable. He's just going to lay it out all on the table and see what happens. So for Bill, he says, for John to kill Danny that way seemed kind of like a uh, just an out-of-character moment for someone who very much reflects Ned uh, in the show. Yeah, and I and I don't... I did not feel that way, uh, and, and partly because I think John has done some of the tough things he needed to do, or at least had been forced to do things that were out of character for him. And I go back to thinking about him killing the half hand, um, mm-hmm. you know, when he, when he first quote unquote went over to the wildlings, um, you know, when Lord Mormont was still alive and they were at the fist of the first men and, and so on, you know, he goes out ranging with the half hand and they're trying to find where Mance Raider is and they get the horn of Jormund and so on. And he has to kill this legendary man of the night's watch. Right. Um, you know, that's clearly not in his, he, he, I think had grown to love in a short time, the half hand, or at least greatly respect him. And the half hand basically forced him to kill well, him. Yeah, he, that's him what to he, do it. he said, yeah, you got to do it. Right. And because, you know, he had to, or they were both going to die. And as right. it was, John was able to ingratiate himself with Mance Raider's people and, you know, ends up becoming this great friend of uh, Torment Giants Bane and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think there are flashes of that where John, um, while has no doubt in my mind, got the Ned Stark gene for doing dumb things at the dumbest possible times. <laughs> like, Oh, by the way, saying to Daenerys, Hey, um, I know we're getting ready to go and fight the army of the dead, but I thought I should at least mention that I really have a better claim to the iron <laughs> throne than you piece. By the way. Yeah. Just want to slide this in here. Right. Um, you know, like, yeah, he definitely got that gene from Ned, but no, I, I thought that was exactly what I expected to happen. And one of the things I said on Twitter, you know, it's really hard and, and as much as the last season and particularly the last episode or two kind of infuriated me at times, um, it's really difficult to take a world and a mythology as rich as what Martin created in the first five volumes of this series and and successfully translate it to the screen. Now, uh, I think it would have been more successful if they hadn't tried to cram everything into six episodes or, or yeah. 14, I guess, or how many it was over the past two seasons. Um, because I think everything that happened, you know, in terms of big picture stuff is is probably what was supposed to happen. But it felt rushed to people who hadn't read the books, perhaps, or hadn't been seeing the signs. Um, yeah, Daenerys was kind of always probably destined to have this end. Um, you know, you could see it over time building. She tended to go to extremes, but nobody noticed because, oh, she killed all the wise mas- masters. Well, they were evil bastards anyway. Who cares? Well, did you really need to slaughter them all indiscriminately? Was that the just thing to do? And so on and so forth. You know, here, here we get to kind of the natural end of that is, 
hey, why don't these people love me? Darn it. And I'm going to just burn the whole place to the ground. Yeah. That's, but unless you, know, you see that evolution. Dark. Yeah. Which they didn't really show on the show. It's it's difficult to kind of wrap your mind around that. I mean, it's like, let me put it this way. So I very much enjoy the character of Stannis in the books. Not because yes. I think he's like going to be the greatest. Uh, he, he would be a terrible king. Like He yep. would do exactly what Danny do and just like start executing people left and right because he doesn't think they're you know righteous enough or they're absolutely you know, they're he'd be an awful king. But I like him because he's fascinating because what Stannis is continually forced to do. And I think they emphasize this way more in the books than in the show. But what Stannis is continually forced to do is to make exceptions to his rules, right? And so, for example, and and, and he does this willingly because it's in the service of something else, mm-hmm. but he's he's portrayed as this incredibly rigid figure, right? But yep. in reality, he he takes the wildlings and, and incorporate, incorporates them into his army. He pardons Davos, even though Davos, you know, technically broke the law to like save him at Storm's End and all this other stuff. So he, he does these things because they're in the service of something else. And in the show... You know he gets he gets killed because Ramsey's got plot armor and they invade with twenty good men and burn down some tents and blah blah blah, which would never freaking happen to Stannis in the books. Nope. But in the books, he's like essentially experiencing this you know shining kind of thing yeah. where they're stuck in the snow and yeah. everybody's just like starving to death. But that's his that's like his forte. That's where he's most happy. That's what he's he's built to do. Um, I guess what I'm saying is is that they take these complexities of the characters in the books and then they just put everything on fast forward and condense it for the show and you kind of saw that in the last two seasons so i think for me yeah john it would make sense for john to stab and kill danny but you, you got to see it happen you got to see the build-up to it and maybe that's part of the irony right that john who is kind of like you know ned and that he's very honest and, and can't help himself maybe this is like when he does something that really goes so horribly against his personal values that he has to quit and go north. I don't know. But the point is, is that we're not really going to know unless we see it in the books and we're never going to see it in the books. So you're just going to have to imagine it. So how about that? The other, the other um, thing that um, I thought about with John, you know, killing Danny that I think is really important as, is the whole prophecy of Azora's eye. Um, I'm probably, I don't know what you're that pronunciation, that. but, but that, that prophecy, the prince that was promised, yeah. you know, um, the, the prince that was promised, you know, he, he, uh, you know, was trying to forge this mythical blade and, and so on. Right. And when he finally got it right was, you know, he plunged the blade into the heart of Nissa, Nissa, his beloved and so on and so forth, you know, and I think we had been reading this prophecy literally to, to mean the the next King will be the prince that was promised, but you know, maybe, maybe that was the fulfillment of the prophecy uh, is that John, you know, plunges uh, Longclaw here into the air. No, Doug on it. Um, yeah, is that right? Longclaw, is that the right? Yeah, That's his so. sword. I, well, I was trying to remember what um, what the one uh, uh, well, the show used sword. Used like a little dagger. Right, 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 right. Yeah, good point. Okay, so anyway, he plunges his blade into the, the heart of his beloved here, Daenerys Targaryen, and, you know, saves the world because otherwise, you know, that she was the she was the you know evil demon beast that was going to destroy right. everything and it was going to be very bad the other thing that's really tough about interpreting okay what did what did dnd here in the pack of interns they had writing this final season intend <laughs> versus what we interpreted because you know john going to the wall by the way like i'm like why the hell do we still have a night's watch here you know the walls <laughs> cracked open and the army of the dead is well dead 
Right. And, and, you know, if you watch, I didn't actually see <laughs> all I saw at the wall were wildlings. Were there any actual men in black yeah. around the wall? I didn't see uh, any. I, I think, I think, it, but it took me a day or two of reading Twitter to get this that, you know, the, the punishment was, well, we're sending you back to the wall. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You get up there. Oh, wait, there ain't a night's watch. So off you go. Here's Tormund waiting for you. We sent a raven ahead to let him know you'd be coming. Right. And they all go off and everybody's happy. Yeah. But it seemed like, you know, oh, and I read people on Twitter. It's like, oh, John's breaking his oath yet again <laughs> and going off beyond the wall and never coming back. Well, no, he wasn't because there was nobody there. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's there's just so much context that's lost and you've got to kind of fill in the blanks. Like you said, I mean, you know, D&D, it's they've got this the writer's room for Game of Thrones is incredibly small for a show like that. And uh, I think a lot of it's just left up to interpretation, especially since George R. R. Martin kind of just, you know, he's not, <laughs> he hasn't been super actively involved in the show for many seasons now. So um, I think this is kind of what you get, which sucks. But I look, I, I think the next book's going to come out eventually. I don't think the last one will come out. And frankly, mm-hmm. I think they probably need, he'll probably decide he needs two more books uh, oh, to, to wrap it up, which isn't going to happen anyway. But right. I, I think, I think the next one will come out and then we'll be able to flesh some things out a little bit more, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just it, it's it's just frustrating. So yeah. um, we've got another good question uh, from James. I'm going to leave that one for next week because that's that's that might take a little bit to get into. But Andy, I got to tell you something. Thank you so much for filling in tonight. It was great having you. Um, thanks, obviously, for all your coverage that you do with wrestling and everything else. Um, it was good talking to you, dude. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, thanks for having me as always. Yep. And uh, for the rest of you guys, we'll see you next week.